you in this place and how your spirit has anointed this space. I confess before my brothers and sisters in Christ that um, my soul needed this this morning. My soul missed this last week. There are a few moments in our lives where we will be this close to you as your kingdom people because that's why we gather we gather because you have called us the called out ones the chosen race the royal priesthood the holy nation your prized possession and we live in this world that is broken and struggling fighting our yet fully restored selves but let us remember that our king reigns and he comes again. Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship you in the word now, that your anointing would be on our hearts. That, that if there's something that comes out of my mouth that is not of you, you would supernaturally interject before it gets to the ear of the hearer. And Lord, I pray that the spiritual eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so we would see the beauty and the majesty that is Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the Word of God. Matthew 5 says, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up onto the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, we can do better than that. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles. Find Matthew chapter 5. While you're doing that, I'm going to ask our first talking points question. These are the questions that are on the back of your bulletin insert um, to sort of generate our, our conversation. We are a participation church. Um, we don't want to be spectators, but we want to participate. So here's my, here's my first question. What are some ways that we define success? What are some ways that we define success? I'm asking. Money. Money. I heard that one. Money. What else? Position. Position. Trophies. Trophies. Right. Now, now, even that's gotten a little fuzzy now, right? Because you have the participation trophy. So I'm not sure that's success or just maybe success is just participating. But yeah. So we have, we have power, money, trophies, awards, things like that. What else? Okay, likes, Facebook followers, how many friends do you have? That's a good one I didn't think about. What else? Possessions. What else? Okay, nice house. So like the stuff that we have. Maybe the power that we can, that we can use to, to influence other people. Like to dominate other people. So why I start that way is because what we're going to be talking about today is we're, we're in this series called The Kingdom of Heaven. And what we're going to enter into in this time in Matthew chapter 5 is how we get this, the, um, the imagery of this upside down kingdom. Because that's what we're going to see today. That what Jesus is going to do as we go from Matthew chapter 4 to chapter 5 is he's going to start his first, the first of five sermons that Matthew records. And, and he starts this first sermon very intentionally. Because what he's doing is he's turning the kingdom upside down. Because he knows how hard it is for you and I to live in this kingdom. Like the worldly kingdom. Because, so, because the world system is just, 
is, is what we just said. We define success, we define pow, like power by stuff and by um, authority and by likes and by the trivial things. And what he's going to do is say, no, I am, redef- I, am, I am clarifying, not redefining, I am clarifying what, the, what God has always meant success to look like. And, and before I forget, I'll just say it now. Like Jesus, is not, Jesus does not go up the mountain and preach the Sermon on the Mount to preach new truth. He, this is not some new teaching. He is clarifying what was already written. I mean, Micah, hundreds of years before Jesus lived, came here incarnate, Micah says, he has told you what is required of you. Do justly, love kindly, and walk humbly. So it should not surprise us when Jesus says something about being meek, that, that all he's doing is clarifying, we're, starting today, we're going to spend weeks and weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, I think, um, but we're, he's clarifying what does it look like to really live out what God has been telling us to do from the very beginning. Uh, one of my favorite writers, pastors, um, Ray Ortland said this as, as a way to sort of help solidify how different the world system is than our system. He calls it the anti-beatitudes. And it says this, congratulations to the entitled, for this world lies at their feet. Congratulations to the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall get ahead. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall climb the food chain. Congratulations to the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to those who don't get caught, for, what, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall get in the last word. Congratulations to the popular, for this world lies at their feet. So we're in this series called The Kingdom of Heaven, but what we're, what we're talking about over the next three weeks, we're going to spend three weeks in just 12 verses. So we're eight weeks into this series. We got through four chapters. We're going to spend the next three weeks, Lord willing, looking at like the next 12 verses because it's just that important for us to understand like what Jesus is doing is really rocking our world. And, and if we don't like take some time to absorb this, then we're going to miss out on what the whole rest of the sermon, which is chapters all of 5, 6, and 7, even have to do with um, our own lives. What we see going on in this world, and why we're calling this, the, king, the series is called The Kingdom of Heaven, this is the Upside Down Kingdom, what we're seeing going on in this world is a battle for kingdom. It has always been so. Genesis chapter 3 was a battle for kingdom. Are you going to listen to God and continue to worship him in his kingdom? Or are you going to listen to the lie and try to and, and worship Satan in his? And guys, that is as old as Genesis 3, and it is as fresh as the battle that is going on in your heart right now. Like the battle that you're facing to pay attention, to just stay focused, to even want to be here, whatever it is, I don't know, whatever your struggle is, guys, that is a battle for kingdom. Because what we're constantly trying to do is remove God from the kingdom, from the throne of our heart, so we can put ourselves on it. Guys, I love me a little Doug. I do. And you love you a little you. And, and we are constantly fighting self-worship because that's where the kingdom battle rages. So Jesus is going to clarify something because what part of what he's clarifying in the sermon on the mount is he's saying guys i have the kingdom is a present reality his kingdom so there's this worldly kingdom 
that we live in, the God of this world. But there's also, his kingdom is a present reality. How did he launch his ministry? What, what, what did we see even last week when John taught on John cha- or Matthew chapter 4? What does Jesus say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word there for at hand really means like near. It's, it's both proximity and distance and time. So he's saying the kingdom of heaven is here because I am here. The kingdom of heaven is here now because you are here and he indwells you. We're in this already but not yet. We are already redeemed. We are already saved. We are, but we're not yet fully restored. And we're those people stuck in the middle. But, but we have preached half a gospel in a lot of ways. I mean, there's a lot of ways we've preached half a gospel. But the way I'm talking about this morning is we have preached the gospel that says that Jesus came, if you just you know, get saved and then wait for him to return. That's the gospel we've preached. Like somehow salvation is the end of the story here. And then, and then all we're doing is, is biding time and treading water until he comes back again. But guys, because we have preached half a gospel, and because we've believed half a gospel, we are living half a gospel. Guys, we are called to live as kingdom people by kingdom power for kingdom glory. We're called to be those that produce kingdom fruit here and now. Not just waiting. Guys, I, there, there's a saying that says there's no heaven. Some, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. That was a really common saying back when like the, the whole um, Left Behind series was popular and the rapture and everything else. Guys, I have yet to meet the person who is too heavenly minded. I'm not. Right? We, because we, we have, I, I, there, the heaven is, our, is certainly our motivation. But guys, the reality is, we are, Jesus taught that we are to, to bring heaven here. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So because we haven't, we haven't preached the full gospel, we tend to not believe the full gospel. Guys, we're entering into this part of, the, of, of Matthew after eight, nine, nine weeks into this thing that is often called the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And, and I'm going to tell you, it is going to press against us. Today will, next week will, the Beatitudes, as we go through the Beatitudes over the next three weeks, they will press against you. And, and not only then, but all the way through, I mean, the, the very end of, of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we preach in your name? And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Right? The whole sermon is going to press against us. But Jesus preached it that way on purpose. Because we need, I need, you need a little pressing against. Because the world is pressing into us all the time. And he needs to like, like lop it off. Like he needs to clear all that junk that we deal with and get back to the, to the real, like the reality of, of what it looks like to live in his kingdom. So as, as we've seen this story unfold in Matthew, we've talked about how Jesus very intentionally was showing and Matthew was portraying Jesus as the better Moses. Right, that we looked at like how just like Moses, they, they came out of Egypt. Jesus as an infant or as a baby went to Egypt and then he came out of Egypt. He comes out of Egypt and what happens? He grows up, he becomes an adult and he launches his ministry by getting baptized by John. That's a picture of crossing the Red Sea. He comes out of the baptism and he goes where? Into the wilderness. 
just like the Jews. But what he's showing throughout this is he's saying, unlike the Jewish people failed in the wilderness. Jesus didn't fail. Now what's going to happen here is right after all that wilderness watering, he, he, what John to, did a great job teaching on last week was he gathers some disciples and he's going to start teaching them. But instead of going up the mountain to, to receive the word, he's going to go up the mountain to preach it. Because he is the better Moses. Like he is um, the better everything. So I saw this quote. It says, the sermon, uh, this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is not a second law with new commandments. It goes much deeper than that, than the law, because it deals with internal attitudes as well as outward actions. It presents a picture of the truly righteous person and shows the spiritual principles that control his or her life. So Jesus opened the sermon with a description of the truly righteous person. So open up your Bibles. If you're not already there, you should be in Matthew chapter 5. And I'm just going to read the first 10 verses of, of, of Matthew 5 to show you this is, this is the description or the start of the description of the, of the righteous person. In, in verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Seeing the crowds, he went to the mountain and he sat down. His disciple, and his disciples came to him. And then it says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and here come the Beatitudes. Beatitude is just a word from the Latin word for, um, for blessed. And so that's where we get this idea of blessed. We'll talk more about that in a minute, or what that word really means and how we have polluted it. But he starts in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it interesting that Jesus intentionally bookends the Beatitudes with the king, with kingdom of heaven? If you look at verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You look at the last real Beatitude, and it's verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's very intentional because what he's trying to convey here is this is what kingdom living looks like. All the stuff between those two is what kingdom living looks like. And that's why we're going to spend three weeks looking at this. The first 16 verses of Matthew 5 describe the true Christian and deal with character. The rest of the Sermon on the Mount deals with conduct that grows out of character. Character always comes before conduct. Character always comes before conduct. Because what we are determines what we do. Guys, at this point, when I read something like character, it should be on the screen. Character always comes before conduct because what we are determines what we do. You should immediately, if you've been here for a while, you should immediately be hearing this. The first call of the Christian is not behave. It is behold. It's behold, believe, become and once those things happen your behavior will change because your conduct flows out of your character that's the key okay so let's pick it up where this rubbing starts as we read these as we go through these we're just going to go through three of them today as we read through these first three beatitudes guys uh, no, not, not only is it going to push back against you, but, but let me tell you why it's going to push back against you. Because not only, I mean, part of it's what, what I mentioned, like we're all broken, we all struggle, we all love ourselves a little self, 
right? We're all idol worshipers. We don't want to listen. We don't want to live for the kingdom of God. But here's the other thing. Even if we step away from ourselves a little bit, guys, unfortunately what has happened is we not only have we preached half a gospel, but what we've done is so much of what we think of as Christianity in America is cultural, not biblical. So as we're talking, as, as Jesus is pushing us in these areas of meekness and mourning and persecution, because if you, if you grew up in the church like I didn't, but if you grew up in the church your whole life, you heard just the opposite. You, you tended to hear things like, put on Jesus and your life is going to get better. Put on Jesus and you're going to have your best life now. Put on Jesus... Okay, so, so here, I'm going to give you this because I can't hold this thing and preach at the same time. I use my hands too much, so you guys can't even hear me. So someone want to take this and put a battery in it? Um, okay, so, but we've got to keep going because we, we, we don't have a lot of time. So understand, guys, that, that part of what is going on in this, in, in this part of why it's going to press against you isn't just because of our own brokenness, but it's also because a lot of what we think of as Christianity is culturally Christian, not biblical. Right? And, and, and we have to back up and, and, and pray. Like the Holy Spirit, give us the lens to see this, not through 2023 um, American eyes, but through the eyes of Christ. Because that's why he preached it. So look at verse 1. We're still in the introduction, by the way. Look at verse 1. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. I just want to point out a couple of quick things about that first verse. Isn't it interesting? So if he is, here's one of the ways he's the better Moses. Because in, in the case of Moses, Moses went up the mountain to receive the law. Did the people get to come? No. People come, people die. Jesus invites the people in. What is that saying about our, about our Savior? He is always inviting. And he sits down. Guys, the sitting down wasn't laziness. Sitting, the most important person in the room sat when things were being taught. So it was his way of conveying. It was his way of conveying that he was the most important. This is just awkward for everybody, isn't it? Um, he, <laughs> it's all right. We can, we can make this happen. Um, you don't want to clip it on for me? Oh, come on, you coward. All right, let's see. Are, am I back on? Am I on? All right. Oh, thank you, Lord. The wonders of modern technology. Woohoo! Okay, so um, it was just his way of conveying, like, like, you, like what, normally what would have happened in his day is I would be seated, you would be standing while I taught. It was a way of conveying respect for the person. Also because a lot of the rabbis, I think, were just old, and so that was part of it too, but he certainly wasn't. And then that phrase in verse 2 where it says, and he opened his mouth, it was just a common idiom that just meant, he, and he taught. So that, that was kind of a, an odd thing. And then he jumps right in. So again, all of that is just the introduction. Here's the, here's the question we're asking today with the time that I have left. Do you feel fortunate? Do you, I'm not asking for an answer yet. We're going to answer that today. Do you feel fortunate? And, 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 and what I'm hoping happens today with that, with, with that question is, by the time we leave here, you have redefined what fortunate looks like. That fortunate does not look like your bank account is high, your, nothing's broken in your house, all your relationships are going well. That's not what fortunate looks like. What, if, what, if you are feeling fortunate, then according to Jesus... 
you are realizing that you are bankrupt, broken, and basically at the bottom. Like, this is what today's message is about. Aren't you glad you came? But it's not my message. It's Christ's message. What he's saying is, blessed are the bankrupt. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are the bottom dwellers. That's really the message of the gospel. So let's look at verse 3 and jump right into it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the word blessed there is markyrios in Greek. It's often translated happy. It is also translated, it has this idea of being fortunate. I like the word fortunate. Like I, I, I would like the, the translation to say fortunate are the poor in spirit more than blessed. And here's why. We have polluted the word blessing. How? What are some ways we have polluted the word blessing? Stuff. For us. So, we're, so it's like this scale. If things are going well, we're blessed. If things are not going well, we're not blessed. That's exactly the opposite. And that's why if you, if you have this idea... Now, that's not what blessed meant there. That's not what Mercurios meant in, in, in Jesus' time. It's why he uses the word here, there. But, but, it is, um, but in our vernacular, we look and we go, like that, how does this make any sense? Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit? How is that, like, wait a minute, things are going well for you? Well, the answer is yes, if we understand what blessing is. Because the word poor in spirit there really just means that you understand that you are spiritually dead apart from Christ. What he is saying is you are fortunate when you understand that apart from God's work in your life, you are stone cold dead. And that you need God's work in your life to be made alive. Guys, think about what the psalmist says in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, fortunate is the man, who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scorner or the scoffer. But his delight is what? Getting more stuff? His delight is good health? His delight is a wonderful marriage and happy kids? No, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, on his word, he meditates day and night. That's the idea of being blessed or fortunate because you are poor in spirit. Guys, we have to, the, the, reason, this, the reason he starts here is we have to be emptied in order for him to fill us. Like, unless you understand that you come with nothing, he can't work with that. Why? Because I'm in the way. You're in the way. Right? Unless I come, unless I come going, I've got nothing to offer you but God, rich in mercy, when I was stone cold dead, made me alive, made you alive. Because that's the beauty of the gospel. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus that way, we have lots of time today after, the, after I get done preaching to talk. Let's talk. Like, th- like, don't leave here without knowing that you know that you know that he is in the business of bringing dead things to life. That's the gospel. I love how Billy Graham said it. He said, when we have come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. And until we come to the end of ourselves, we don't even get to God. We've heard, I've heard it said this way. We are beggars telling other beggars who the bread is. 
Or how about we are sinners telling other sinners why we all need a Savior? Like, do you, not just coming to faith in Christ, but day by day, moment by moment, do you understand your moment by moment desperate need for the grace of God? That's ultimately what it looks like to be poor in spirit. Guys, I want, I'm going to take the time. Go ahead and keep your finger here in Matthew 5. We're going to come back to it, but go to the right of where we are. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's, I, I, could just, I could just say it to you because it's such a well-known passage for me because I've had to claim it so many times in my life. But you are better if you read it with me. Like you, It is better for your soul if you read while I'm reading. Right? So turn to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's to the right of where we were. Go past the other Gospels. Go past Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Towards the end of that book, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 starting in verse 7. Paul has been given a vision that could make him feel very proud. He has seen the glory of heaven, but he's still living down here on earth. So God, not Satan, God sends him a thorn in the flesh. And he says here, So to keep me from humbling or becoming conceited because of my, the surpassing greatness of this revelation, this vision of the glory of God I've seen, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. I've taught on this passage before. I'm going to resist the urge to do it now. But that messenger was, was demonic, and it was from God to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So he's praying over an extended period of time. It wasn't like just three prayers in a row. But he said to me, Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness, Paul. My power is perfected in your weakness, Jeff. My power is perfected in your weakness, Jamie. He's saying, so then Paul says, so I will boast, I would rather boast in my, I mean, I want to boast now in my weakness, in my, in my bankruptcy. Because when I boast in my bankruptcy, his grace is sufficient. Guys, it doesn't say that his, I, I thank the Lord that he didn't say to Paul, my grace can be sufficient for you. My grace might be sufficient for you. My grace could be sufficient for you if you'll do these things. He just says, my grace is sufficient. It just is. Because it had nothing to do with Paul. It had everything to do with Jesus. That's the point. Look at your second talking points question. It's on the, again, it's on the back of your bulletin insert where maybe you're taking notes. How do we know we haven't gotten to the end of ourselves and how do we know we have? I'm asking. How do we know we haven't gotten, and you can, and you can speak to either one. How do we know we haven't gotten to the end of ourselves, and how do we know we have? Just let me know which one you're speaking to. Okay, so one of the ways we know we haven't is, is when we are being, just to, to, to tweak it a little bit, Mark, because um, you're, not, you're not wrong, but just to put it in the context of how I want it answered, um, is because I get to do that as the teacher, right? Um, is you're saying we, we, when we are self-centered, we realize we are not at the end of ourselves. Good. What else? What's that? Who we rely on. What do you mean by that, Austin? Okay, so when we are not, if we're not at the end of ourselves, we're still relying on ourselves and not trusting God. So, the, so to, to, to speed it up and go, so, so how do we know we have come to the end of ourselves? To use Austin, Austin's argument, we would say, because we have come to a place where we Rely on God, where we have to trust God. Any others before we keep going? Uh, 
Oh my goodness, that is so good, sister. Yeah, Karis, if you get all here, Karis, it's worth repeating. We know we've gotten to the end of ourselves when we start believing God for who he says we are, for how he defines us, and we stop fighting him on that. That last part, man, was, that's a huge one. It's not just, it's, it's like, don't fight him. You are fully known, deeply loved. You are all those things that we sang right before Abby, Abby read the passage, and it's that you are ble- you are blessed and ho- called and healed and whole and i mean like it's like we, like we have to just constantly renew our minds with that beautiful truth like that is hugely important guys i one one thing i'll say we, we just got to keep moving on for the in the interest of time we'll have some time to talk more at the end um as part of our response but but one of the ways as i was thinking about this how do i know when i'm at the end of myself and and is part of it is not just how i'm how i'm responding but it's also how I'm seeing other people. When, when, you know, we, I say this all the time. And I'm just going to keep saying it. When we stop going, how can they? And we start going, of course they do whatever we, is frustrating. Because they don't know Jesus. Like when we stop looking at the world and go, oh, what a bunch. Like how do they believe that nonsense? Even though it's nonsense. And go, of course they believe that nonsense. Because they don't know Christ. Guys, I was going to have you turn there. I won't, but if you're taking notes, don't turn there now. I'm preaching. But, but write down Luke 18. It's the, it's the well-known story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Guys, we, we all have an internal Pharisee. We all have that internal person that just feels like somehow I'm better than that dude. And as long as I'm better than that dude, I'm doing okay. So the Pharisee is like, Lord, thank you that I don't that I fast and that I pray, and that I'm not like that sinner, that tax collector back there. Which, oh by the way, Matthew was, right? And then the tax collector is like over here, can't even lift his eyes. He goes, Be merciful to me, because I'm a sinner. I know I'm bankrupt. And what does Jesus say? That's the dude that's going to be justified, not the other one. The other one is not going to be because he doesn't understand his bankruptcy. But guys, I know that sort of sounds like a down, like it can sound like a downer, especially if you don't really understand the grace of God. But the more you understand your own level of bankruptcy, the more beautiful God's grace is. Right? Like you don't need to hide from your brokenness. You don't need to hide from your bankruptcy because it makes grace all the more amazing. And that leads us to our second point. So are you feeling fortunate? So then, if you are, then according to Jesus, you know you're bankrupt and you're broken. And that leads us to the next part. Look at, and these, these next two go a little faster. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now understand, mourning is not over sadness. He's not saying, because in the, you have to take context as king. In the context of the sermon, he's not talking about, blessed are you who mourn because your dad died of Parkinson's two years ago. That was a mournful time when my dad passed away. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Many of you have dealt with way worse tragedy in your life. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is, blessed are those who mourn over your sin. Because in the context of the message of his sermon, it's all about kingdom living. He's saying, blessed are you when when your sin breaks, like when you are just broke, like you're mourning over it. Like, like, you are more sick of your sin than you've ever been. And, and yes, you're still wrestling, and yes, you're still fighting, and yes, those things are, 
are still a hard, they're hard to give up, and you thought they were dead, and they're back alive, and you don't know why, but, but you're more, like, it, it grieves you. If you're not wrestling like that, guys, like, if you never wrestle with, man, why am I still doing these things that I know are an affront to my living God? That's the person that needs to question whether they're saved or not. Because when I was in my early 20s and I didn't know Jesus, I didn't have those questions. I didn't start feeling conviction. I didn't start feeling the war until I got saved. So if you're sitting here and you're going, yeah, but Doug, I cannot break this porn thing that I've got going on. One, let's talk. Let's, let's figure out some solutions. Let's pray together. But know that the fact that you're fighting is evidence of your salvation, not evidence that you're not saved. If you're looking at porn, gentlemen, and you're not feeling conviction, check your heart. Check your heart. And I would say the same thing, I mean, obviously it's true for any sin and any gender. Look at your, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right to our talking points question and then come back and finish out this point. But look at your third talking points question. Why is it hard to balance our brokenness with God's forgiveness? In other words, why do we tend to either dwell in or completely discount our sin issues? And I'm, just, I'm not going to ask for answers out loud. I just want you to think about that. Understand the question. The question is, we, our tendency with sin is that we tend to just sort of discount it and go, hey, free grace, right? Saved by grace, doesn't matter. Or we tend to wallow in it. Man, I'm, I, I'm, in, I'm more in the second camp. Man, I suck. I'm so bad. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. I'm, I, man, I'm a failure. Man, I, 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 I'm still struggling. Man, it's, it's, I say it all the time. It's part of why I'm up here weeping before I come up and preach because the enemy's whispering lies and I'm struggling and I'm, I'm wallowing in my sin and then I'm reminded of who I am in Christ by a song and I'm claiming that victory and saying, get behind me, Satan. Right? And, so, and, and then I get up here and, and preach God's word. But I, I think a huge part of why we struggle, like why, why we struggle in that is... There's all kinds of reasons. I think a huge reason that, that the Lord was kind of revealing to me in my own heart, and I think it applies to us, to you as well sometimes, is that we're not willing to give it, like really give it to Jesus. And what I mean by it is us. I'm not willing to fully give Christ, like give me to Christ. The reason I'm still struggling, and then with that struggle, I'm either trying to, trying to justify it or I'm trying to... Um, or I'm wallowing in it is because what I don't want to do and what I should want to do is fully give it, give me to him and say, I'm trusting you with all of me, not only to save me, but also to do this redeeming work in my life. But we don't, we don't, we don't really want to give it all to him either because we don't think he'll take it. We don't think we think he'll judge us for it or more than likely because we're not really ready to let go of it. Like, there's still that part of us that just wants to still be that vengeful person. So if I really give all that unforgiveness to the Lord, then, I don't, then, I've, then I'm relinquishing the right to actually have it anymore. And I love it. Right? That's our struggle. I think that's a huge part of our struggle. But guys, get, understand this as we finish up this, th this second point. Jesus gets our mourning. The very people he came to save crucified him. Isaiah 53. Guys, understand, Jesus wept. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus wept at the condition of Jerusalem. Why did Jesus weep? Was, it, was he really sad that Lazarus died? No, he knew what was going to happen. Here's what he was mourning over. Sin. 
I, I, I guarantee you whether it was what was going on in Jerusalem when he was getting ready to ride in on the, on the donkey or what happened at Lazarus' tomb is he's, he is he's going, Satan, I hate what you've done to my creation. It grieves me. He gets it. That's what I love about our Savior. He isn't just some God who doesn't have feeling. He came here as a man and he wept over the brokenness of this world. That's who Jesus is. And he is also our only real comfort. Last point. So are you feeling fortunate? Well, according to Jesus, you're bankrupt, you're broken, and you're at the bottom. Right? Like that's that, that, and, and we're going to see a lot of this in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point here because he spends a ton of time talking about the first and the last and the last and the first. And, and we're going to see that in his teaching over and over. But in verse 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The best, trend, the best definition I've heard for meek, is the, it's the same word, by the way, that Jesus uses when he describes his heart in Matthew chapter 11, when he says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. The word gentle there, that's translated gentle there, is translated meek here. It's the same word in the Greek. So it's this idea of gentle strength. The best translation I heard was gentle strength, or the best definition I heard was gentle strength governed by the Holy Spirit. Gentle strength governed by the Holy Spirit. But like I said, this idea of meekness was not a New Testament thing. This is not Jesus, you know, really, you know, kind of a sissified version of, of our Savior with, you know, long flowing hair. looks like the Brett girl kind of wandering around going like, you guys don't remember what Brett shampoo was probably. But, but like this, this picture that we have of Christ, which has no, any like rem resemblance of what he really looked like because he wasn't white. I'll let you know a little secret. But, um, but he's, he's, He's this kind of, you know, very, we, we, we either over, like over-feminize him or we just discount that altogether and we, and we over, like, we, we're just we're waiting for him to come back like the Revelation 21 Jesus, right? Or the Revelation 19 Jesus. And, and so, but, but the point is, what Jesus is saying, this is not new teaching. Because, like I said, you know, Micah talked about it. Isaiah talks about it. He says that, that to this one will I look, the one who is meek, slash gentle, and who trembles at my word. That was Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus lived. The, the passage that Brian read in Psalm, the, Psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 37, he talks about how multiple times the meek shall inherit the land. That's what Jesus is pulling forward here. He's not teaching something new. He's just clarifying this is what it ought to look like. But and I loved how somebody prayed this. It might have been Brian. It might have been somebody else during our prayer time. But I love how he prayed this. Because, but understand, meekness or gentleness is, is gentle. It's not doormatness. We are not called to be doormats because we're Christians. We are called to turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, love our neighbor, love our enemy. Right? We're called to do all those things, but we're, not, but we're called to do it in, from a position of gentle, loving, submissive, selfless, Really hard. All those things, really hard. Strength. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to address the men in the room one more time. I, I saw this quote in a book that I'm reading, and it just hurt my heart for me. And I hope it hurts your heart too, gentlemen. It says, across Christ's kingdom, we do not have nearly enough men willing to truly lead Christ's church. Instead, a large percentage of men sit back and wait for others to lead, to decide, and to carry on the work of the mission, the church languishes. 
and the devil cackles. Gentlemen, what are we doing? What are you doing for the kingdom? If you're his, he's ca- the mission is clear. Go and make disciples. It's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion for the women either. But it's easier for me to front up the men. Guys, the church, in a, we, can, we can either sit back and just languish and wring our hands about what's going on in the church in America or even in our own church, or we can get in to the game. That's the bottom line. Because your reward in heaven will be great. Our last thing I want to mention about this verse, and then we're going to wrap things up, and I'll have the music team come up here in just a minute. When he says, and they shall inherit the earth, I love a couple things about that. One, the word for inherit there actually implies in hand. It's not like a distant inheritance. Like I know my dad's really rich, and someday I'm going to have access to that money. He's saying you have your inheritance in hand. And then I also love the fact that he doesn't say, and they will inherit the land, like Abraham inherited the land, like Jacob inherited the land, like even when they returned and they went into the promised land, they inherited the land. He doesn't say inherited the land. What does he say? Inherited the earth. Because God's promise here is universal. He's saying that you will inherit all of creation will be yours. Because when he comes back to restore everything, he's going to restore all of creation. Guys, in the Beatitudes, that we're just getting a taste of them today. We're going to do three more next, next Sunday, Lord willing, and then we'll kind of wrap that whole part up and move on the week after that. But guys, understand, we have been invited to a whole nother level of reality. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It is countercultural to what you and I are used to, but it is Christ's reality. When he, when he starts this sermon, he is inviting you and I into his very real world. And we can either go, well, I'm going to pick and choose the parts of his world that I want to engage in, or I can just stand away from his world altogether, or we can step into it in its fullness and its uncomfortableness and all the stuff that it's calling me to that I don't even want to do. I don't want to love my enemy. I want to smite them with a mighty smiteth. Right? Like, I do. Bruce Almighty, hi. Um, Like, but... But that's not what Christ has called us to. Christ has called us to something glorious, but it's hard. And the Sermon on the Mount is a very real invitation into that. It's a very real invitation into this uncomfortable way of living. So here's my question. Are you ready? Are you ready? He's inviting you and I in. Are you ready? He's inviting us into this place to join him in the mission. So as the music team comes up, if you would like to, you can turn to Matthew chapter 11. And I'm just going to read this last part just just to kind of let Jesus say it better than I could. We we read part of this to start our service every time. but, But guys, understand that Jesus is an inviting king. Like, what a blessed privilege. Like, genuinely, what a blessed privilege. To be invited into his kingdom space. Not, not and, I, and I say this, when I say like just for salvation, like something that, that, that is everything. I get it. But it's not everything. Back to how I started. We've preached half a gospel. You, when you got saved, that was the beginning. 
of your story with Jesus. Don't wait for him to return to have chapter 2. Be living out these chapters in your life now. Because because to be invited into his kingdom influence, like, like to be invited into his kingdom glory here and now, is the best life you and I can live. Guys, everything else, everything else is going to burn. All of it. Your home, your iPhone. Guys, all of it. It is chasing after wind. Only what is done for Christ has eternal significance. So in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, he says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. That's you and I, people. And then he says, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him guys jesus is the way to kingdom glory to kingdom revelation not just unto salvation but unto living and then he says this come to me all who are weary or all who labor and are heavy laden take my take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle there's that word i am meek i am humble I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Pray with me. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for that beautiful truth. I thank you that you are an inviting Savior, that what you're saying there and what you say to us over and over is come. Just come. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and and we will find the rest we're seeking. Father, so much of what we see in this world, in in out there, but even in the world in here, and the world in our own hearts, are people that are trying to numb or distract or, or just run away from their own scared hearts. We might not say that. I might not say that I'm scared and so I'm going to sin, but ultimately, that's what I'm hiding from. A world that just seems crazy. But you are the God of this world. You're the one who spoke it into existence. You're the one who calls us each by name. And you're the one who invites everybody at the hearing of my voice, even in this moment, at whatever level they are spiritually, to just come. that have not yet to come to that saving faith in Christ, I do pray that today would be the day that they would come, that they would talk to one of us in this church. And for those of us, as was even prayed during our prayer time, that that we're we're struggling, we're fighting this out, we're, we're feeling the flames of the enemy, Lord, I pray that we would just run to Jesus. fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, despising the shame, endured the cross. 
Lord, let us, as we respond to you now, consider Jesus well. It's in his name we pray. Amen.